2015, Southern Ohio was in the midst of an opioid crisis. The community came together and came up with an idea. From this idea was born a race, a race that would help prevent drug use in the area for generations to come. This is no ordinary race, and this is no ordinary story. The Buck 50 is a 24-hour team relay race that spans 150 miles of trails, roads, and paths winding through the Appalachian foothills. 10 people, two vans, and one cause to prevent drug addiction in a small community. It took the whole community, but two guys pushed, pulled, and prodded to get the gears moving. Dave Huggins and Chris Scott. One vowed to get into schools and engage the children in drug prevention. The other vowed to find a way to fund every willing student by creating this race. This is the story of the Buck 50, the race that became a story of its own. And with that, many other unforeseen stories came to life. A huge ripple effect that reaches more than we ever dreamed. One race, one cause, one podcast. Thousands of stories. This is running off at the mouth. The Buck 50 Podcast with your hosts, Dave Huggins and Chris Scott. It's really cool that you got Sam Elliott to record that for you. <laughs> he, he was hoping for, for he was hoping got... for Chris Christopherson. <laughs> but that was close. That would be like, pretty awesome. It was a blend of the two. Is <laughs> That's good. We got to find. I just right did, I expected to hear course the banquet beer. <laughs> you got to hit those bees real hard. You know, beer banquet beer. <laughs> oh, Chris Scott's here. Listen, I'm in the studio today, of course, with my partner, Crime Dave Huggins. Smitty's over there on the board. We took Smitty's mic away. Anyway, in the studio with us today, we have, golly, how do you intro this guy? He's the most interesting man in Chillicothe. (laughs) (laughs) The former editor-in-chief at the Chillicothe Gazette, the current executive director, and you can give your title. That's president and CEO, pal. President. President. CEO, <laughs> CEO of the Chillicothe Ross so Chamber of Commerce. Name. <laughs> Chillicothe Ross Chamber of Commerce. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we look, when I look around Ross County, and, you know, Dave and I always talked about the there's people who talk about stuff and there's people who talk about getting things done and there's people who get things done. And this is a guy that is kind of in that category that I feel like Dave and I fall into that we, we talk about it, we, we look at it, and then we go get it done or we get active and involved in it. And, and Mike's one of those guys that's oh, right man. up there with that. Thanks. That That's that's an honor, honestly. I, uh, I do like to consider myself a champion of Chillicothe, a champion of Ross County. I'm not from here originally, but... Where'd um, you grow up, Mike? So I grew up in Sandusky, Ohio, Cedar Point. Um, I actually grew up in a, a little town outside of there called Castalia. Um, Did you know uh, Tom, Tom Callahan? Callahan <laughs> not, no, I didn't know. I know his, his dad oh, real okay. well. Big Tom. Yeah, Big Tom. Yeah, he's a good uh, guy. And, uh, <laughs> Tommy Boy. Sorry to move you. That's really good. I have a whole really story good. about That's Tommy Sandusky, Boy. That's right? Yeah, it is. I have a whole story about, about Tommy Boy. Okay. Because none of that, of course, was filmed in, in Sandusky. Nah. But uh, when I worked at the newspaper in Sandusky, we contributed a lot of stuff to that 
uh, to that movie. Really? Because they called they called us and they said we need pictures of of your uh, your newspaper, of your boxes, uh, what the police cars look like, and we provided all that wow. stuff. So, so you had a piece of time. Yeah, That's like I did. Somebody that time. was a lot more powerful. Than I was just one some cubby reporter, you know. So like, um, but I remember it real vividly. They had sent us all this stuff, and it was all clandestine. Like, you know, this movie company wants this, and they didn't tell us what the movie was about, but it was going to take place in Sandusky, and we were like, oh, okay. Well, not only me stuff. being a salesman, love the movie. Yeah, I've named after Chris. I'm not it's Chris Farley the name, but I'm kind of shaped like Chris Farley too. So that gives you an idea <laughs> of why that's one of my favorite yeah. movies of all time. Yeah. All right. So let me bring some of these folks back into Sorry. the Buck <laughs> Fifty podcast. We are running off at the mouth, but I did. I think I knew that that you weren't from here. I'm not originally from Chillicothe, but I think the one thing we talked to Emily Preston in our last episode, and one thing that I think is very prominent with the people who live here is there's a lot of pride in this community. Uh, you know, lots of people, people are raising families, raising kids. And, and that's an important part of this culture in Southern Ohio, for sure. Yeah, I, I think so when, when I got the job at the Gazette in 1997, so the, to, to back up the summer of 1997, I had a friend of mine that was a reporter in a, in a bureau at the same newspaper that I worked at. She had been a reporter here in Chillicothe and we went to an Indians game together and she said, Hey, you, you know, there's, I know you're looking for a new job. Cause I was kind of capped out there. I wanted to be an editor, but I didn't, there was no place to go. All the editors were going to stay there for a while. So she said, there's a job open in my old newspaper in Chillicothe, but, um, uh, I'm not going to apply for it, but you should. And so I did. And, um, she said, Mike, you're going to love Chillicothe. It is, it's such a great news town, but there's just something about Chillicothe. Once you get there, it, it really stays with you. And I thought, eh, okay. Talking about the smell of the paper mill? She wasn't. (laughs) She wasn't. She was actually talking about the cross keys. But anyhow. um, (laughs) All these inside Chillicothe. Yeah, that's right. We have a paper mill in Chillicothe. And and we also have a bar called the cross keys. And we have that. Uh, So... um, so I came here and I, and I, you know, I expected to stay for three or five years and, you know, all, tra- all journalists are transient. So uh, I thought I'd be there for three to five years and leave. And then, you know, 25 years later, you know, here you are almost 25. So Well, Mike falls into the camp like a lot of people do in my life nowadays where I didn't know who Mike Throne was before the buck 50. Yeah. And so for, for us, you know, Chris and I, more me than Chris, 2015 was a pivotal year when we started to learn about the story about the missing women. But from your perspective at the paper, where you're in the know on everything going on, how long for you was this drug problem going on in our community? When did it become evident to you? So we we started reporting on um, sort of like painkiller and opiate abuse in like 2004. Um, It was about the time that... uh, Dr. John Gabus, who was the county coroner at the time, started to um, engage us about a conversation that he was having with other coroners around the state just about, hey, are you noticing uh, that uh, these opiate abuse deaths or overdoses are starting to pile up for you guys? And, um, you know, it was about the time that it was starting to really become clear that um, there were some doctors out there over prescribing this really, really highly addictive painkiller. And um, 
and I told this story before, but I, I remember what really brought this to me very vividly was uh, there was a kid who graduated high school. He's a baseball player, I think. And within a month was dead. And it was very mysterious and it was sort of whispered and, and, you know, there really wasn't a lot of conversation about what, what happened to this kid. And down the road, we found out that it was, it was a heroin overdose or was a suspected heroin overdose. And it really became one of those deals where that really made it incredibly clear to me that there was something else going on. And And that was about the same time that I think we were getting this reputation when you would meet somebody from outside the area you'd be like yep. where are you from oh we're from Chillicothe oh that's where they have the ODs or that's where they yeah. had the missing women we got to be like known for that for a minute yeah I mean that that came down to like uh, 15 16 I think mm-hmm. um, but when that happened I mean you know it was it was really interesting to be uh, you know as a as and you're right I mean it very much a lot of that is what you report is one thing. So if my left hand report, you know, this is what I report, what you know is my right hand, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's a lot of things that you can, that you know that you can't report. Right. So uh, for us, it was a lot of knowing that the missing women, there was a, a, a distinct connection to drugs and opiate abuse and heroin overdoses and things like that. Um, but knowing that some of that stuff and, and just some of the suspects and then all the people who are surrounding that case, you couldn't really report it. But what we knew was heroin and drug abuse and opiate abuse is driving um, a lot of people into lifestyles they don't want and driving them into graves. And the, that the, was the just, don't want thing, I think, is something I learned when I was trying to educate myself is that nobody, nobody wakes up one day and says, I really want to try drugs and I want to become, right. you know, addicted to them. No one thinks that's going to happen in their world, but it's it's a progression over time. And once that gets a hold of your life, you start making different decisions. Yeah. You, you're no longer uh, the loving husband or the loving father or the person who shows up to work on time or the person who does extra work to help your company. And then, you know, eventually maybe you lose a job and then you get into a situation of crime when it comes to theft to feed a habit. And it's, it's really sad the deterioration that can happen, uh, but for just people, a few decisions. Yeah, but yeah. the people that were that was happening to at that time that Mike's talking about, it wasn't discussed. Like, I mean, it wasn't something Mike could cover in the paper. You know, they were aware of it, but it wasn't like that story right out front because it was still whispered about. Because you'd go to that funeral, and I remember Wayne, Wayne Campbell, and, you know, Wayne's going to be on the show here with Tyler's Light, when his son passed, he was uh, in Pickerington. He was at the funeral, and people putting their arm around him and whispering in his ear, hey, I'm really sorry, my, my cousin did too or this yeah. or that it was a whisper and you didn't even talk to your kids about drugs i yeah. mean it was crazy that, that where we were at that time and only five six seven short years later it's a different story i mean that's part of the different story that the buck 50 i think has helped bring the community that drug-free clubs help bring the community and the efforts that's went on from a, a lot of different organizations around the community have made it to where 
we can talk about it at the kitchen table now because we know if we talk to our kids about drugs that there's a 50% better chance that they won't ever try a drug if we discuss it, just to have a frank conversation with your kids about it. So the community aspect, and that's one of the reasons we'd ask Mike to come in is just, you know, he was so ingrained. You've seen Mike on that. So if you watch that Spike TV footage that we, you know, we have that link over on the social media page and it's also on the, on the Buck 50 website, that's Mike. <laughs> you yeah. can get a picture of Mike because he's, he's introing that. You may not want it after you get it, but you you can. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, Mike spoke from the heart in that just like those kids did. And that's one of the reasons that piece is so powerful, I think, to really explain what meant to those kids. And and Mike explains it well from a community perspective about we're not going to take it anymore. And we didn't. Yeah. And, you know, I I think a couple of different things. Number one, I think the, the... So there's a group of 10 editors of, of various newspapers throughout Ohio, and it stretches from the, the north coast all the way down to Chillicothe and from Zanesville to, you know, Bucyrus and every place else. I think um, we got sick of just covering death mm-hmm. and not really talking about the underlying cause of it and talk not talking about um, this thing that was just devastating people. And so um, the people, especially the people left behind. So we, we just decided, like, well, how are we going to confront this? And good journalists confront uh, confront the things that are going on in a community. But they don't just confront it to confront it. They confront it to try to change things. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to say, okay, if, if the issue is law enforcement, how do we push law enforcement to be better? If the issue is um, – brain chemistry and brain imbalance or um, the way that drugs change that, then how do we change? If it's prevention, how do we change prevention? If it's the lack of treatment resources, how do we change that? So it was always, you know, driven by an idea that if there's going to be a problem, there's got to be a solution. We're going to be about the solution, not just talking about the problem all the time. And you got the conversation started a lot, too. I mean, not only it started in a lot of different ways, but. And I, I won't go into media, but back when you were in media, it was still kind of impartial. <laughs> but, but, but it got the conversation started uh, yeah. back six, seven years ago in the, in the local papers and things. It, it yeah. really helped people talk about it at the kitchen table. Mike, you mentioned John Gavis earlier. Yeah. And uh, certainly being a coroner would be a pretty tough uh, thing to be a part of. And then, like you said, he's reaching out, talking to other coroners about these stories. I also know Mr. You know Dr. Gabus was a big part of the what is now called the Hope Partnership Project. Right. When did that start? Yeah, so um, dates are going to elude me, but um, you need to know specifically the yeah. date. <laughs> this I, I, I'm not gonna, I don't like I don't like just guessing. Yeah, I like a good guess. Give me a good guess. Yeah, I, I would say you know right around that 2015 2016 time frame where. Um, maybe even 2014. Um, I think that's really when we started to see a groundswell of change about how we approached problems in Ross County and in Chillicothe. I think for a long time we sat around and we said, all right, we just need, we just, we're going to wait until government or Columbus or Washington is going to come and save our, uh, solve our problems yep. for us and save yep. us. Well, we knew and, it took a lot of money and a lot of work. Yeah, and we, we and didn't have was, either one of them. And, and not even really sure what to do. Well, this is a prime example of when, and I'm not going to get political, but we were, and Mike's exact right. I remember everybody sitting and waiting on the government 
have to tell us what to do right. to save us or wait for somebody to give us a paycheck to, to do something. And we've seen some of that happening, but it was a lot geared towards rehabilitation, yeah. fixing a problem that was already there. And then... Or law enforcement. Yeah, and law One of those two things. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, uh, we... It, it became let's solve our own problems rather than waiting for somebody to do it. And so we did get a grant from the state, uh, which I think might have been uh, federal dollars through the state. But we got a, a, a grant to start the, the, what we called at the time the Heroin Partnership Pro, uh, Project. And, um, you know, the idea was to bring together everybody, the courts, law enforcement, um, you know, the treatment folks, the uh alcohol, drug addiction folks, uh, and then anybody that wanted to be a part. Um, when I first moved from the Gazette to the to the chamber world, we were part of it because they said, look, we've got all these people coming out of treatment, but they can't find jobs. We need people that are going to take a chance on these folks that are clean now, they're sober. Um, and so I made, one of my goals was to make the chamber a part of that program. And I think... The reason why, um, you know, Gabus and a lot of those folks did that at the time was we're not going to find the solution if we keep waiting for somebody in Columbus and Washington to point it out for us. We've got to look at our things and our unique perspective and make sure that we, you know, we do it in our unique perspective. But the only way we're going to do that is we get everybody around the table. Start yeah. start doing something. Yeah, and start yeah. talking. Yeah, I think that you know I've been to multiple different community type coalitions over these last several years, and one thing that is somewhat scary when you go to some of these other places is everyone wants to tell you why their way is the best way. Right. And so the the concept of coalition or working together isn't right. The difference from what I've seen from the Hope Partnership Project is. You have different medical entities, you have different law enforcement agencies, you have different recovery groups, and it is a pure effort of what can we do to work together, what are you doing that I'm not doing, and I can, you know, you already do something really good. So let's send, right. you work on your expertise, I'll work on mine, but but it's a harmonious effort. And some of and, those dollars in the beginning weren't attached to oversight. They they were released with autonomy for that group to, correct. to go some direction. So I remember telling uh, U.S. representative or somebody about the drug-free clubs program and going, listen, I don't want to check from you because I don't want, to, I want these kids right. run this program. I don't. Yeah. You know, so it, it, was, it was, I think that's one of the reasons that Hope Project was more successful. Right. I, I think, you know, the state money helped, to, helped get us off the ground. Mm-hmm. It took a commitment by the city and the county and yep. uh, to, to keep it going. And that's exactly what happened. And I think um, more than anything else, I think there was a great effort at the beginning. And I, I wasn't in the room at the beginning of that. I was an editor, so I was very impartial. And I was trying to stay out of all that. I, I had reporters that went to those meetings. But I remember them saying, it's it's amazing how little arrogance there is in the room. Mm-hmm. Everybody is there to try and find the solution. And if that solution means my group has to you know, fade into the background or be less and somebody needs to be higher, you know, in, in terms of profile, 
we'll let them do it. If that's the way it works, then that's the way we'll do it. That's and the only that's how, way anything gets done in this world is when people 100%. have that that heart of, and that attitude. The end goal in mind, and I mean, I'm, I'm always reminding everybody that I know that gets involved in Buck 50 and then what, it's fun, it's a race and it's what we're doing, but don't forget why we're doing it yeah, and, and, and the kids. When, when you, it's amazing how well things get done when you don't care who takes the credit. Um, when everybody you. just gets I, better. I'm applauding. I love you know, thank you. I, I, and I, you know, you were talking about getting things done earlier and, and I, you know, I don't really do a lot for myself. I, I really, cause look, I, I don't have any financial stake in the buildings that are downtown or on bridge street or anywhere else. I, I don't have any financial stake in that, but I want to create a place that people want to come to and want to be a part of that, um, that fosters other people's hard work and effort. So if you want to be an entrepreneur in our downtown, my job is to make it the climate better for you and easier for you to do that. And if if I if it's not easier and better for you, then I'm 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 either still working on the problem or I've already failed at the problem. And if I already failed at the problem, I'm probably going to go work a little harder because I, it's like a challenge to me to try to do that. And but so you're, what you're saying though is what the reason the buck fifty works is because yes the people like you with your talents and you know i'm not going to say mike can go out and carve us a new buck 50 statue or whatever it may be, you know? but, he, but wait that would but, be awesome oh thanks mike I, he's an art you didn't know that well art. i mean if i if i uh, you'd actually be better Selling off Ohio if, limestone would be a good if, if you if you had me do it it might be better if one of my kids did it in play-doh so okay. yes i so, want to know when we talk about this initial uh, upswell of people taking action, which was definitely that 2015, 2016 yeah. period. Do you remember the first time you heard about the MAID program or the Buck 50? And what was your initial thoughts in that? Well, I mean, I was very much immersed in um, addressing the addiction issue at the Gazette at that time. And um I, you know, I would say it was right in that time frame that you're talking about. And I, you know, what I remember about that was, um, first, I, I think I, I remember hearing about the MAID program first and trying, and as I, you know, I had kids in junior high and, and in high school at that point. And, um, I remember thinking to myself, this is sort of for them, but it's really for, and I also have kids that were, you know, four or five years ago, I had one that was just born and I had one that was two and one that was five. And those are the kids that I was really thinking about when I heard about the MAID program. I want, you know, my kids to have every opportunity to to stay away from drugs and stay and, and really to get to see the incentive of doing it is not anything that's on a card or things like that. I know you guys have provided those things and they're great things, but the incentive is. You have your whole life ahead of you, right? That's that's the exact same thing Emily Preston said when she was in here yeah. on the last show. She's like, "We got rewards, but we didn't we didn't join the program for rewards. We joined the program because we wanted to make a difference right. and do and be different." Hearing stories of grandfathers and grandmothers raising their kids because mm-hmm. the mom or the dad or whatever is either gone for good or in prison or physically gone for good yeah and incapacitated I thought, they can't anything be that will make that grandparent and grandmother's life easier and then hearing the stories of these kids who had no relationship with their parents because of drugs um if anything that was going to make those kids lives 
easier or make it easier for them to not take the same path, man, I was down for I was down for all of that. And the reason it was as successful, I think, is what it was. Those kids that we kind of picked for the original leadership, a lot of them came. Yeah. They were that kid that yeah, grandma sure and grandpa was raising them. They were the kids that started the program in the school that pushed the other kids to join because they were the most sick and tired of what drugs had right. done in their lives. And when you guys did the Spike TV interview with Joe Berlinger and that team, when when uh, I saw that video, because I like I didn't know anything about that. I mean, the, the, the part that they used for me was recorded before that, and I had no idea the two were going to be spliced together. I mean, I was super happy about it. But but like Chris said, it's been about the kids. And, you know, I think as a community, as us adults, we can look at that and everyone can get behind it and say, if we can raise these kids differently, society will be better long term for right. sure. And if you remember that when you're getting off of leg 26 or whatever, that's one of the reasons we started the podcast was I wanted you to hear these stories of, you know, getting with Mike in the community. You're going to hear stories about runners. You're going to hear stories about so many different things. But when you get, I said, if you're in the van, it's two o'clock in the morning, you just got done running and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm sick of you people in the van. We've listened to the same soundtrack 15 times. And why am I even doing this? You're going to remember from this podcast, why? (laughs) And that's one other reason I brought Mike in today, and Dave and I wanted him in here, is because he also runs the buck fifty. Yeah, he got tricked. I've, he got I've tricked. run it. Um, I've, I've, I did a checkpoint last year with Dave Strickland and my guys up there in the uh, side of trails. Um, you know, look, I, I'm not all the people that might be listening to this that are running it. Like I've done it. Um, you know, I retired because of buck fifty. <laughs> So, I, <laughs> you're going to scare people. I'm right? sorry. Not that, well, but I'm you, maybe old. You had a bad I'm, I'm 53 years old. But almost, you were. So. It wasn't like you were a guy who ran all the time on no, a regular no, you basis. Like you, you ran to. to yeah. You got in shape to be a part of the. You event. ran to the 100%. kitchen table. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, it was it was a challenge. Uh, let's see. It would have been two years ago, three years ago, three years ago, um, and I was just I just turned 50. So like, well, what could I do? I want to do 50 things I've never really done before. That's a good idea. I tried to do that for a year. I think I did about 40 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them were super simple. And so when the Buck 50 idea came around and they needed a runner for, I think it was Meredith Tomlinson's team at the time, and Andy was doing it, and there were a few other people on that team, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this and see. So I trained like hell. I mean, I really did. And it killed me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was, um, and I remember I, I'm running through the hills uh, on my second leg, and it was right as the sun is coming up. And I mean, I wanted to stop, but I was like, man, if I stop, it's going to be, I'm going to probably stay right where I am. They're going to have to come get me. But I mean, it was, it was great. I ran at sundown uh, out of Clarksburg, which was awesome. Uh, and then I got to the church. Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the church out there now, but you get to that that church out there um, where they got the the Brown's Chapel. Yeah, Brown's Chapel. So you were runner eight. Yeah. Okay. And so I get out there, and they've got people lining the cheering you on. What my best friend is standing there. He's like, "Dude, you're almost there!" Like I was so pumped. I could have run, kept running for another mile after that. I didn't. But I was happy. I didn't have to. But like, I mean, it was. It really is. You know, I, I tell people this all the time. Like, I'm done doing it probably. But it's like, it was such a great experience to do it, even though at the end of the day, I was just physically and mentally drained. But I was just so 
proud of what we had done together. And then just knowing what it's for is just such a huge deal to me. And I think um, it's the reason why, even though I'm not running, I want to still be a part. I just emailed Dave Strickland and Bill Betson from our more, our noon rotary the other day. Hey, hey what are we doing for the, the checkpoint this year? You know, and they're like, well, they haven't got out, reached out to us. Well, we don't have to wait for them. Let's, yeah, let's go. Stri- he, Strickland must have texted me after he texted yeah. you because he goes, hey, we in for the checkpoint again? And I'm like, well, yeah. I, I was like, look, we don't yeah. have to wait for them. Let's just start playing. He's like, oh, yeah, I've already talked about getting a band or some music up there. And I was like, well, we did this in July last year, bro. It was warm. Like, it's not as warm now. We start at like 5 in the morning. We need to get a heater up there. Like, <laughs> He's like, heater? Those runners don't have heaters? I was like, oh, man, like that, these guys are serious, you know? He so, forgot the year before it, April. Well, you know, we've had a couple cold years mm-hmm. forging around for propane heaters and things at some of the checkpoints, but that's why the checkpoints are so interesting, too. Like this this checkpoint Mike's talking about, that's the Noon Rotary Club here in Chillicothe. These guys he's talking about are local business folks, Dave Strickland, State Farm agent here in town, and, and vets and all these guys, that, you know, this and gals, they just jump in and run that checkpoint, and each one is kind of its own thing when you look at checkpoints. I mean, we can yeah. do a whole episode on checkpoints because just going around the county and all these different things of the different organizations in the community and the, this is where the kids get involved a lot too i know my kids are always excited about working the checkpoint my daughter she never gets up at five o'clock in the morning except to work the checkpoint <laughs> she doesn't even know it comes twice morning. in one day yeah. right yeah and i think and she hasn't done it every year because she's not that excited yeah <laughs> well i think it's a, where our people in the community get to show that southern ohio hospitality for the race and you know they they may not be a runner um they may not be able to write a big donation check or whatever that is, but they can spend four to six hours of yeah. their time on a Friday or Saturday in April and help out these runners and help out these kids. And it's it's a very prideful thing for them. I, I actually, as I travel around, think that that piece of our story uh, might impact me more than um, someone who does write a check or someone who does run in the race sometimes because it's like people's time is valuable. It's the most valuable commodity that we have. And when someone is willing to volunteer and help out and do it at such a high level, I mean, music and food and... Well, there's two things there. I mean, the number one feedback, and I, to correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but from runners from outside the area that come in, and even people that are from here that run this race. I mean, we get, you know, we've, we're up to 21, 22 different states, people coming in to run this event, but is just that hospitality along the route. I mean, just people going out in their front yard and cheering you on, ringing a bell at 2 o'clock in the morning, going, you can do this, you got it, to those people at a checkpoint to have a nice breakfast sandwich for you in the morning, and there's music playing, and there's candles lit, and I mean, you know, they're they're cheering you on. I mean, that's the biggest point of feedback we get from the runner's perspective. Oh, yeah, I've had guys who, I mean, some of these people, you know, running relays is a pretty small part of the running community across the board. There might be 50, 60 events like this across the country but um there are certain groups of people that get into this team concept and they'll run lots of different events like this and i think it was a couple years back there was a team and i think the guy was out of virginia and and they got their their normal relay team together they've been hearing about the buck 50 they actually did some research to know you know asking runners you know is the course well marked is it an organized event and they came and they're like this is the best one we ever ran. Yeah. Like sometimes we go to checkpoints in the middle of the night 
they don't even have anyone working there. Like we pass off the baton to the next runner. And there's nobody there. And there's no one there. Yeah. You guys got music and people cooking food and cheering you on. And, and that's the community. That's the Southern Ohio community coming together for this very, you know, cyclical situation where, you know, runners are running for kids. Volunteers are helping runners. Volunteers want to help the kids and everyone's in it together. It's teamwork. It's back to the, you know, putting the egos away and just making action and doing what's good. And not sitting around talking about doing something. They're actually getting out and getting involved and getting something done. And, you know, we're talking a couple thousand people involved in at that point, but they're contributing. They are getting, making a difference in the community by getting off the couch and getting off the phone and off the TV news and getting out there in the community and getting something done. I couldn't be more proud. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the good things about that, too, is when when I ran and also when I was observing Buck 50 before I ran, one of the things that I heard from a lot of people was there was a lot a lot of those checkpoint folks are like, hey, was your experience here good? Like, we made this or we provided this, but is that what we're supposed to provide? You know, and uh, even la- I took that with me when we did the checkpoint last year because the, the biggest concern for me was the switch in seasons because July is so hot and so muggy. And, you know, the difference, and I'm sure it was for you guys too. And you guys remember sitting in that room last year talking about whether we should be doing it at all last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, <laughs> thanks for episode. not taking my advice. <laughs> I appreciate that. You I'm not offended. You flipped me in that meeting, Mike. Huh? You, flipped, you flipped my I know. opinion in that meeting. Um, I'm shocked. I, I don't know, Mike. I, the, let's face it, this the whole COVID thing has challenged everyone well, let's before you dive ways. into that we were in a room distanced and you know we're i mean we this were was 20 feet apart this march, is literally yeah. as everything is unfolding oh, it, march, it was middle. march 17th yeah, yeah. march the day oh, dave knows the date oh yeah i'm sure he does and we're going going around the room with this vote do we have an event or do we not have an event can we do it safely i mean all these things and i'm going in there just like we're doing this because i'm we're doing this i don't care how we figure it out and i haven't said my piece really kind of haven't and then mike chimes in from this chamber perspective and community director and i'm like mm, he got a point there <laughs> <laughs> well and i you know i i look back at it now I mean, we're off the beaten path but this is okay. running off at the mouth right, so that's like, exactly right so um we're we're in that room and i i think what i was trying to say was we just can't do it when we would normally do it mm-hmm. but then my biggest concern was if you moved it to july how much are you going to have people just die? Yeah, passing out on the side <laughs> of the road, dying. and like it's I mean, degrees and I forgot, road. you know, like it's been thirty-five years, probably longer than that. Good gracious, I ran when I was in high school and college, and then I stopped doing it because I got injuries and things like that. I remember that dumb kid running all the time, seventy miles a week sometimes, and I would run in the, you know. It was really stupid, but like I'd run at one o'clock in the afternoon and it was 80 degrees outside. Like that's not smart really from a physical perspective, but I know that that's a runner's mentality. Runners run when they want to run. People do. And doesn't, when yeah, it doesn't it. matter. Rain, so, snow. Yeah. They run, the they, they run alters in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> and so like when when we were in the at the checkpoint last year and these guys would come in and they looked like they were spent, but then, you know, five minutes later, they're like, all right. 
I'm ready to go. Let's get to the check next checkpoint, and then you Lots know, especially these five, these five person teams. Oh my gosh! Like these are different people, man. They oh, are. Yeah. They're knocking out 35 mi- 30, 35 miles. And they're I running every hour and this a half is the to two hours. Thirty pace for twenty four hours, folks. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I love these guys. These guys, like when they would come into the checkpoint, and even when I would see them, and I remember there wasn't. I remember running my first leg the first year that I ran, and. I'm running, and I'll never forget it as long as I live because it was Doc Seeley. And Doc, Dr. Seeley is a, is a local physician here. And I'm running from the from Clarksburg to Brown's Chapel. And I am I feel like I'm on a pretty good pace. And all of a sudden I hear clip-clop, you know, this, these footsteps coming up behind me. And this guy with this god-awful big long stick is running with next to me. And obviously it was, you know, in case a dog comes around or whatever. Hey, you're doing great, man. You look good. You're really doing great. I mean, he's just going by. I'm like, man, who is this guy? And so I get to the thing and I'm done. And I said, this guy passed me. I was like, oh, yeah, Doc Seeley. And I was like, oh. He went, so then really I went, saw him. Whoa. I mean, he went right by me. And it's funny right how, I can't tell you, Mike, how many times I hear stories of us mortal runners, which is about <laughs> That's 80, 80% That's of the people in the race. Yeah, the mortals. But then there's the freaks, as I call them, <laughs> who are those, you know, six, seven minute pace guys. And they're, and they're all stacked up on For the same team hours. trying to win this thing. And they, these runners all tell the same story. I'm running, and I hear just a couple footsteps, and then right by, and all I see is a flashing taillight, and the person's a mile down the road in front of me. And it, it's what the thing is, they do exactly what they that you just said. Good job, yeah. keep it up. Like that's yeah, they, the runner community supporting each other, yep. having a good time. You know, we appreciate the athleticism, the training skills, experience, whatever it is that that gets you to that point. But, but I hear that very often. Well, I, you know, I think the thing that's great about Buck 50 is we didn't have to build a community. Like, Buck 50 just helped us illustrate this community. Exactly. Like, I, I you know, the, the, the community of Chillicothe and Ross County is already like this. Buck 50 just makes it better. Yep. It just helps us illustrate it to more people that probably wouldn't see it. Yeah, it's the vehicle, it's the machine, it's what we use to tell the story. Um, And there's so many people that want to be do something, and this gives them that avenue to be involved. And you see it in their eyes and how they enjoy, whether they're working a checkpoint, whether they're out there putting up markers for the event, or just at the end, it's a celebration. I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about this year coming up is... I got one. I'm not going to tell them just yet. Because Mike will be great to tell that part. Oh, okay, great. Well, I, I will say this. I'm not Ross County before. has the gift of hospitality. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this just lets people see it at, at a maximum level, mm-hmm. right? Whether you're at a checkpoint or you're running and somebody's got their dog penned up because they know runners are coming by that night, but the dog is still barking at you. Trust me, that happened to me about three that's, times. That's that motivation. Clark's, that Clarksburg. That's motivation. why I ran that first leg so fast. <laughs> I will say this. I, and. I have so many people as I'm walking down the street sometime or just in passing, they say, what can I do to help out? And I'll apologize because I have that so many things going on. Sometimes I'm not the best at following back up with those people. But if you want to help out the race and you want to get involved in some capacity, send me an email to Dave at the buck 50.com and my wife, Rachel or Sandy Murray, or I'll have someone help yeah. find you a job. Cause trust me, we need you. <laughs> we need you. Even if I don't remember at that moment on the street, I can find you a job. We can help you with that 
Southern Ohio hospitality thing, but but we've really stepped back, looked at the race, thought about some different things, you know, start finish, where we're at, where we're going. And so I think there's some, some cool ideas. Really wanted a mic there. We're talking about Southern <laughs> hospitality in July. I yeah. was on Lake 26 and I was at the top of one of those hills and I was like dying of thirst. I was like, man, I hope my van comes soon. And I look over and there's a cooler beside the road. Yeah. I, I, I thought I was seeing something there for a minute and I was like, is that really a cooler? Sign? It's like free water, take water, whatever. I'm like, it was a lifesaver. Yeah, that, that's that's the way. <laughs> I, I the first year of the race, I had two two people I still don't remember or know who they are. There was a runner that came up to me at the finish line, and I have no idea who this person was, <laughs> but he said he's running down the road, and an old lady comes up to the end of the road. And wrote a thirty dollar check. Oh, that's right. To to our organization, said I know you're running for those kids, and I want to donate to them. That's and, amazing. And I don't. I should have. I don't. I mean, I don't. I just don't. It's like to me, that's just so. I mean, we had a guy at one of the rallies. Wait. I think it was the second or third year of the rally downtown. Uh, Julie and Sandy said this guy who was homeless came up and gave them a $5 bill. And like, here, I want this to go to those kids. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, Mike, let's is. talk about downtown. Chris has stepped out of the building. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can get a... We, a got, we got free reign. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, so we moved this baby downtown. And, and I'm so excited about, you know, our host is going to be the Majestic Theater. The sto- it's the oldest running movie theater oldest continuing op- continuously operating theater in the, in the country I yes yes that's the yeah. word that's the word so we're gonna we're gonna host a race there but we start talking about the downtown and and tell us about some of the downtown businesses that that exist in Chillicothe that our runners are going to get to experience on race day all right so first let me take you back to 1997 that's when i got to Chillicothe sweet all right so um, there was a bar on paint street called the suds down bar and the first like two months that i was in town there was um eight stabbings or fights that resulted in police intervention and felonious assault charges at that bar so that gives you a picture of what downtown was in 1997 so let's flash forward to about 2007 suds down is gone it's not gotten a ton better okay but um there's sort of, there's sort of a groundswell of how do we make downtown a place? And again, this was part of that discussion about um, we can't just wait for somebody to come in and save us from ourselves, right? We've got to do some things. Uh, the the Carlisle building, which is right in the heart of our downtown, the folks that run when they come in this year, they'll be able to see this. It's a jewel of our downtown. It had burned in a fire. It was not destroyed because the bones of the structure were good, but it then was embroiled in some controversy and couldn't get done and couldn't get renovated and couldn't get cleaned up. And so, well, that's one of those things people talk about. Why, 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 why? Well, everything takes time and money. Right. And someone has to come forth and figure out 
how to make the next st- phase positive. Right. So that was when uh, one of my predecessors at the chamber, he was actually my predecessor at the Gazette as well, Marvin Jones, decided that, look, if we're going to do anything, we've got to really make the Carlisle Building project happen. So that's when we started to get involved in trying to, to get the, the Carlisle Building done. When it got done, when it, uh, Dina Health System uh, got involved to make that housing for residents, medical residents that are coming in. It's a super neat facility, oh, what they've beautiful. done. Like it's it was beautiful. very, you know, you think about a hospital coming in to a downtown business when their main campus and location is, you know, five miles away. Yeah. What, what are they going to do with that? Right. But they they really did a neat thing in having these residents who are coming in to work at the hospital now have a place to stay. Yep. So when, when the Carlisle building gets done, there are a few people right at the beginning of that when that project starts that start to realize like, oh, okay, if this gets done, then things could really get better. So they buy a couple of buildings or they decide, I'm going to start this dream business that I have. I'm thinking of the, the totem supply companies, uh, people like that, that just decided, you know what, downtown is going to be a place that I'm going to want to be in, in years to come. So I'm going to do this. They start out doing that. That inspires other people to buy other buildings. Those buildings get renovated. And so now, after all of that, and you could tell me how long that was on the tape, but um, that's what we have as a catalyst to what we have today. So what we have today to me, and this is not me talking, this is people that come from our downtown that are state officials, that are congressmen. They tell us that we have the best downtown in Southern Ohio. It's it's gorgeous. I mean, there's the history there. You know, it's a 200-year-old town. Yep. First and third capital of Ohio. That's right. Don't try to steal it from us, Zanesville. <laughs> so, uh, so what we have is this great mix of businesses, and these are not chain restaurants and chain uh, boutiques and things like that. These are local people who have decided to either take a gamble on their their dream or to look at the community and say, how can I provide something that is going to have a lasting impact? And so uh, when you look at a place like Paper City Coffee, it's a coffee shop, but it's a coffee shop with a cause. It funds a mentoring project that helps kids that fall outside of the um, normal mentoring projects that are out there. And so these kids then, you know, maybe they age out of the other project uh, programs. They then get picked up and they get, a, they have a, 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 a mentor for their, their high school years. You have um, a great mix of super quality restaurants. And for the first time um, we've had outside investment into our community uh, the folks at 50 West Brewing Company out of Cincinnati, they're nationally known. They win awards every year at uh, at the the you know the beer the craft beer competitions. They decide they want to um, find a place and they want it to be on Route 50 because that's who they are. 
uh, they decide to locate their first brew pub outside of the city of Cincinnati in downtown Chillicothe in an, in an old bank building that got sold. And the, the greatness of this whole story is, again, this is not us sitting around waiting for somebody to give us a bunch of money and renovate things. Yes, there were historic ta- uh, tax credits that went into the Carlisle project. There were some historic tax credits that went into other buildings in downtown. But it wasn't like they saved us. It just no, helped us. You still have to have families and people willing to lay it on the line. Yep. And for anyone out there who's never been an entrepreneur, and I mean you're taking money out of your savings and you're putting that into a business to start making money in some way, shape, form, or fashion. If you've never done that, then you don't really understand the fear and the challenges and the day-to-day headaches that exist when you're trying to hire people, trying to get products in on time, trying to make people happy, pay your taxes, pay your bills, keep it all going, put food on your own family's table. Most of these business owners, when they start out, they're paying for their employees to eat, but they're not they're not starting out with a lot. Right. Well, and, and one of the, the the marquee places that you'll see when you're uh, on this route, when you start and finish with the buck fifty this year, is the poorhouse at Machinery Hall. Yeah. Which the the owner of that establishment, Ben Daughters, when he decided to buy that building and, and take it on as a project, he thought he'd do a renovation on the building and be done. And what he found was structurally the building was unsound. And so it literally had to have new bones created for it. So that project grew in scope, you know, exponentially than what he thought it was going to be. He could have just said, you know what? I bought a lemon. I'm kind of done. It was a great idea, but I'm just going to give it up because who's got that kind of money? But he's just not that kind of guy. And so um, his his drive and his determination and his I am going to provide something for the community that um, we can be proud of. I'm going to save a historic building. Yeah. It's going to be a, 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 a bright spot in downtown. And that has spurred on countless other stories as well. You know, we just opened another brewing company that is essentially two guys that learned how to brew beer in college, Old Capital Brewing. Old Capital. And um, these guys are starting out. They just opened within the last month in downtown. Again, these are you know guys that had a dream. They partnered with another guy who has been built, buying buildings downtown to create something that is absolutely a crown jewel. It's something that you'd see if you went to a bigger city. And, you know, uh, I, I keep telling people, you know, I, I love to talk about downtown, and at some point in time, I worry if I'm get, if I'm just the guy that's just talking now. You know, uh, he's always going to talk up downtown. But every year, there's something new and something better. But that's the pride. That's you know, that's the pride of the community when it's you have this historic place and you have families and people that you know yeah. went to school with or have have gotten to know. And they're putting their heart and soul and their artistic skills into the yeah. community. That's what you want to support. That you know, we you Ben has. You know, it's going to be right beside the start finish line. So you've got to walk in the poorhouse. One of my favorite things about the poorhouse is is how he kept the original floor. Yeah, that's in the front part of the building. And there's a date on the floor of when the original building was. I believe it's 1884. 
And then it's 2017? 2017, I believe, yeah. Yeah. So you'll see where he spaced new flooring and old flooring. Uh, it's about, I'll say, 40 feet once you walk in the door, right right near the bar. But it's what a neat way to yeah. save a building and show history. And there's a humongous mural on the wall that, that shows Chillicothe as it was back in the day. Um, you know, we're in this winter season right now with snow everywhere. And I actually just learned recently that snow is one of the biggest reasons why we have our kitchen. I, I was talking to Danielle and I'm like, so how'd you guys start this thing? She goes, well, I was tired of Cody driving to Columbus to work in the kitchen in the wintertime. And that felt unsafe to me. So why not start our own restaurant? So, you know, our kitchen there on Paint Street is a great place that you can go in and get a meal. And come race weekend, we'll, we'll facilitate some stuff. Mike and I work together along with Tiffany Baldwin from the downtown mm -hmm. and We'll put together some nice options for our runners to come in, uh, schedule a meal ahead of time, set up a reservation. So when you finish, you can then go sit down in some air conditioning or heat, whichever makes sense that time of year. <laughs> I ordered 65 and sunny, but we'll see what happens on uh, April 17th when you finish what that looks like. Yeah, when I finished, it was like 70 degrees, I think, the year that I did it. And I was super happy about that. And I thought... Why, why couldn't it have been 70 degrees when I ran it? Like, you know, uh, I don't know. It was like 2 in the morning, I think, or 3 in the morning, something like that. So so do you foresee, like, downtown businesses being more invested in the Buck 50 if it's moving downtown? Or is there, like, a collaboration? or You know, I think I think they've always – we've runners have always kind of somewhat ended up there. Mm -hmm. But now they're going to end up there on purpose. Yeah. And so when we had a conversation, we tried to do this actually in July. It didn't work out timing-wise, but Mike invited me to a call with all the downtown businesses. And they really were so excited that that, that could happen. And, you know, they they loved the race and they loved the cause. There were, there were business owners talking about how... Um, People are coming in and out of their stores, and they'll see these miscellaneous runners from town that from time to time. Like, well, who is this, and and where's the route, and where do they go? And so, you know, us being physically there, I think, is going to open up doors for people to come down and see the race. They can hang out on the you know a street corner. Um, runners, I'm you know I, I always think that it's nice to have lots of parking like we've had up at OUC, but. If I'm a runner coming to town, I'd much rather, you know, walk a block and a half up the street, get registered for the race, and then, you know, go down to Roast Coffee or Paper City Coffee or, you know, go down to First Capital Nutrition and have a shake or just, just chill out, relax. Right. You know, maybe they're going to, you know, buy some clothes at Rustic Gals or, you know, whatever it is, just enjoy themselves instead yeah, of just think, sitting in the parking lot. You know, I, I think from my perspective as the chamber president, the, it makes it a, a better opportunity for those folks to be intentional about how they approach. Um, because I, I think this is a really good opportunity to bring local folks together and the runners and the drivers and everybody together for a true celebration of, of what the buck 50 has brought to our community. And I think, you know, um, I know that a lot of folks, um, you know, 
you talk about the parking aspect. I mean, there's three city lots or three public parking lots within a block, block and a half there, uh, maybe two blocks. Um, it's easy for people to get their vans in and out of there or whatever. And I think, you know, there's also, I think, opportunities that we can strike and we can help you with that where we we bring folks together to say, all right, there's these parking spaces here. How do we help, you know, get, get people in and out of those spots? So, um, you know, the great thing about this to me is that bringing the buck 50 downtown gives us a great uh community slash visitor celebration vibe that i think is really going to be fun it will be it's Um, you know we got 73 teams coming to town this year uh super excited about that but like i already start to get excited about what 2022 will be right because it'll take us it'll take us a year to figure out how to best handle all that with this new venue. Uh, We can certainly handle what's in front of us, but then it's as soon as we'll get done on April 18th, (laughs) the gears will be spinning for what can we do better next year. And I think this progression of moving into downtown, uh, opening the doors to the the businesses is, is part of that progression and getting better. Yeah. The great thing about the Buck 50, from a runner's perspective, to me, if you're a visitor, is you get to see everything that you should probably enjoy or every everything you should love about Ross County. You get the... You might hate the rolling hills at some point in time, but just to go out and see... Um, just the the, the 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 geography of Ross County and then to see downtown and to go, you know, again, you may hate the hill going up Grandview Cemetery. But once you get up there and see the view, that's a special moment. Oh, it's you know? certainly definitely. So like I, I I just think it's a I don't know. From my from my perspective, this going to downtown is a great move for the community. It's a great move for you. It's a great mo- a move for the runners because I think it gives them and the participants because I think it just gives them a better feel of what our how far we've come. Because I think the drug issue and downtown kind of mirror each other in terms of what kind of problem they were. And then because really we were not going to grow and become vibrant until downtown was fixed. And I'm not saying we've got it 100 percent fixed, but I'll tell you right now. We got about 85, 90% fixed. We're getting better. There's some little places. Getting better every day. And I, I think that, um, you know, it's just going to keep getting better. And I think by the time, you know, there are businesses that are in process right now that aren't open that will be open by, you know, April 16th. That's and awesome. so, um, you know, uh, yesterday we had our community forecast breakfast and Tiffany Baldwin from downtown Chillicothe said 20 new businesses open in 2020 and eight new businesses have already opened. And there's three or four that are in process right now. So, I mean, we know that downtown hasn't slowed because of COVID. There's more interest in there ever has been probably in downtown, but it also means that there's other opportunities as well. When I look out on Bridge Street, and again, you know, I have all the county. I look out on Bridge Street, we've seen a lot of chains go out. Are there ways for people that don't necessarily look at downtown as their home to look at Bridge Street and say, hey, that's a possibility for me. And then we're replacing... um, national or corporate entrepreneurship with local entrepreneurship. I'm down for that every time. I love the corporate places. Sure. They pay, they pay dues like everybody else, but I love local entrepreneurship. That's what I want to see more than anything else. 
Well, Mike, I, I can't thank you enough for coming in today. Uh, I can't thank you enough for what you do for Chillicothe and Ross County on a regular basis, both, you know, personally and professionally. You, you know, you're a lot like me where you came to this town. This is your home. You're raising your kids. I'm hooked. And now that we're here, it's <laughs> how do we make it better? And that's what we're trying to do every day. Uh, you do that, the Ross County, Chillicothe Ross Chamber of Commerce. I'm working that through the Buck 50. And uh, we're just excited to put together this show and looking forward to April's race. And uh, as always, have a great day, Buck 50 runners. You've been listening to Running Off the Mouth, the Buck 50 podcast with your hosts, Chris Scott and Dave Huggins. Produced by Chris Smith, live and in color at the Great Seal Publication Studios, downtown Chillicothe. If you've got any questions, comments, concerns, or something you'd like to hear us talk about on Running Off the Mouth, email us at raceinfo at thebuck50.com And in our love with you oh, Sorry <sighs> Buck 50 Podcast <laughs>